This is the key to mass adoption for crypto and digital assets. Today, we sit down with one of the most well-connected projects in the industry. This is the CEO and founder, Rashid Ajaja of Alliance Block. Welcome to the Bean Pod. This is your place for all things stocks and crypto. From beginner tips to expert picks, use this as fuel for your investing journey. Because when you're in the know, your money will grow. This episode of the Beam Pod is sponsored by BitGet. BitGet is the most user-friendly and secure crypto trading platform for both beginners and experienced traders. BitGet is the best place to not only trade Bitcoin and Ethereum, but also all the small cap gems that we discuss every day. With 24-7 customer support, leverage trading, and a wide array of other advanced features, BitGet sets itself apart from every other centralized exchange. Through Beanstalk's official partnership with BitGet, you'll receive 15% off all trading fees when you sign up using the referral link in the description. Welcome to the Bean Pod. This is Shane, aka the Jolly Green Investor. And this is Josh, the Nifty Investor. Today, we're going to be talking to one of the most well-connected projects in crypto and Web3. Rashida Jaja, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure and really looking forward to having this interview with you, with you guys. Let's jump right into this. Tell us, tell the listeners, tell us, what is your background? What makes Rashid the guy to be the founder, the CEO, the guy running the show behind Alliance Block? What is your background? So, so first of all, I, uh, like we are, like we are a team. Uh, we have been working like as a team the last five years, and I'm happy to have like an amazing team and amazing partner, Matthias Tavris, that we are working day and night to be able to make this vision a reality. So, in terms of my background, I have been quant for 15 years. Uh, like uh, worked in credit risk analytics, commodities exotics at Barclays. I worked at BNP Paribas, Société Générale for multiple banks. Then I moved, so I had this 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 background in financial industry, capital markets, but also more quantitatively. And then I moved back to Paris, where I was leading AI research team, mainly focused on infrastructures, AI, computer vision, and other AI algorithms. Before we have like before even we have the hype that we have it now. And I started my crypto journey actually since 2016 as investor degenerates. And then we saw a lot of inefficiencies, both in the crypto world and in the financial world. So this is how we started the, I would say, our, our adventures to build Alliance Block. Uh, back then, it was 2018. We were, we were three, so me, Matthias, and Number. We started this with a vision to create really open, inclusive uh, platforms that will protect investors. And... Once we started building this, we saw the hype of like tokens, we saw the hype of STOs, we saw the, and we, we noticed one thing that is very important. If we want to bring the, to build the infrastructures that bridge traditional finance and decentralized finance, there is a huge focus on compliance. Back then, no one even cared about compliance. Okay? So after we saw the bear markets in 2020, we saw the rise of DeFi, not, not only in terms of the, like DeFi protocols, DeFi strategies, data, and also tokenization. But there was one thing that is missing to tokenization back then, uh, like around 2018, 2017, even 2019, to become really, I would say, adopted. It was liquidity. And DeFi brought liquidity. So our vision back then, when we wrote it in the white paper in 2019, we, we were actually very ahead of the, uh, of the game. But now we have all the technological components to build this unified tokenized markets. So we had really mixed between technology, finance, and, and a team of amazing developers and engineers that's made us actually after five years of building to be able to, to be in the verge of achieving our vision 
and building this ecosystem that will bridge traditional finance and decentralized finance. So you're a forward thinker with a ton of experience in traditional finance. I like it. Absolutely. So we have to. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting when you when you talk to someone with your background coming from, you know, the, the quant research space from traditional finance, and it makes a lot of sense when you look at Alliance Block's vision for bridging traditional finance and DeFi and Web3 and all that. And I think you know, there's been there's been a lot of a lot of talk about this kind of next generation of where DeFi is going to go, how it's going to get bridged to traditional finance. Now, you did mention something about you know tokenization of assets, and I kind of want to. This is kind of a two part question. It's you know maybe give us. You kind of did give us a description of what Alliance Block is, but if you want to go into maybe what the grand vision of Alliance Block is, and then you know here here at on on the Bean Pod and the Beanstalk Show, we always like to talk about crypto narratives. And we think Josh and I are really good at, at identifying narratives before they get hot, you know, reading through traditional media headlines to see what the next narrative is going to be. And one of the things we've been talking about a lot lately is exactly that, the real world assets, the tokenization of real world assets narrative. We've seen a lot of hot projects kind of start to build there. We've seen headlines from companies like BlackRock saying tokenization of assets is the next trillion dollar opportunity. So it's clear that you know, for me, it just makes a lot of sense bringing all these uh, real-world assets and tokenizing them on the blockchain. So what is Alliance Block doing to, to move itself into that narrative? And what is the grand vision for Alliance Block in terms of basically bringing that potentially trillions of dollars from traditional finance into DeFi? Yeah, I think this is a really good question. So we saw, uh, let me maybe go a little bit back. So tokenization is absolutely not new. It exists in finance and it was called securitization, which was one of the biggest problems of subprime in 2008. Because it was not transparent, we had like products, derivatives on top of loans that that is not transparent, that were tokenized, that were sold to investors. And once there was default, shit shit happened and we had the crisis. Then of course time passed, we have have blockchain technology and we started to hear tokenization. So we really it started, I would say, with these crypto kitties back in 2017. Okay. So then which created actually the big problem. So we have the creation of 721, which basically they create the flow blockchain, which is really good in gaming and NFTs, the guy behind crypto kitties. And then we saw the 1155, which is like this these are non-fungible token, but fractions that we can fractionalize 721 into 1155. Then we started to hear a little bit about tokenization. So we had platforms like Tokenai. Security, securitize, and all this like really tokenization platform. Okay, that's t- and we, we this is where in 2019 we started to speak about hype about STO security tokens is the futures. It will become the new ICOs. It will be huge flow of money. But actually, this narrative stayed for a few months, and then we didn't hear about them. Why? Because of one regulation, securities are subject to regulation. Two, because of liquidity. People that are putting money in def- putting money in crypto, basically, they are not putting in securities and these security tokens because they don't have this 10x, 100x, whatever x they wanted. Okay, because it's much more, I would say, uh, regulated in a way uh, than than the the, the alt um, markets. Then, a little bit forward, we saw DeFi, so Uniswap. Aave, uh, we saw the Aave institutional, we saw Aave Arc to, uh, compound treasury, and all this that started to give this hint of, oh, actually we can provide liquidity to this tokenized asset, but still we didn't tokenize this asset. So we, we were missing basically, I would say, the end-to-end flow. You tokenize these real-world assets and you are able actually to provide liquidity. But there was no link still between these real-world assets and, I would say, the lending protocols, decentralized exchanges. 
then what's happened is we start to speak about wrapping. Okay, how can you wrap these assets? How you store these data somewhere, a PFS or whatever, and then you wrap them, and then you can basically tokenize them, and then you start to fractionalize them, and then you will be able actually to get investment from DeFi. And where we are now, we have all the technological component to be able to do this end-to-end -end tokenization. And we've been here in the last few months a lot RWA is the new things. This is what will happen. We will have lots of like real world, like real yields because institutional real world, I really, I have did, I have did a conference with actually the, the, the chief DeFi officer of SNP. So standard and Poor's that they were saying, okay, so like we need like also to have real yields. When you bring real yield, you, you speak a lot about also under collateralized loan lending protocol. Okay. So like um, centrifuge and others. So you have this counterparty risk, you have this credit risk. Okay. But no one speak about, we saw a lot of projects, as you said, speaking about this RWA, but no one speak about the compliance part of things, the regulation part of things. And actually, this is really the biggest hurdle and barrier for anyone that wants to tokenization, and even worse with Mika. Well, as soon as you are a virtual asset provider or crypto asset provider, including digital assets, you are subject to some chip, uh, like we, you will be subject of Mika. So a lot of, because, Tokenization in itself, it's super easy. Anyone can do it like you are creating an ERC-20. You just need some legal documents, some metadata, some data, and that's it, okay? So anyone can do it technically. But the biggest hurdle is like the flow. So given all these elements, so as you can see, you have compliance, you need identity, but you are speaking with the DeFi, so you need to have the privacy. Can you put together privacy and compliance? Is it even possible, okay? So then, we, it's become clear. We speak a lot in finance about capital markets, which is high, like a really high level, it's investments. Money market is financing, is debt, okay? Tokenization of assets, so when you put, when you speak about tokenization, it's mean of investments, but it's mean of financing, of debt. So having basically one digital assets that could leverage for, the, let's say, the capital market infrastructure and money market. So we called it us as Alliance Block, the decentralized tokenized markets. So, and this is from where we had completely revamped our websites because we were doing so many things, even though it makes sense in the global pictures, but it was very hard to follow. You have funders, which is project financing. Okay, so what is the relation between the identity verification? What is the, uh, the relation between the decentralized exchange? What is the relation between the DeFi tooling? What is the relation between your rules engine? Okay. So then we said, actually, if we speak about this, the infrastructure of decentralized tokenized markets, not only every single module makes sense, in, 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 in capital markets and money markets, you have compliance, you have data governance and management, you have executions, you have basically risk management, you have regulations, you have like all these different modules that we have been building the last five years. And then if you take them all, so you can basically like merge the pros of capital markets and money, money markets without inefficiencies. So I've been speaking with people from institutionals and they wanted to build, let's say, these digital asset infrastructures. When they speak about digital assets, they speak about tokenized assets, tokenized bonds, stocks, real world assets. And we were discussing because when you, you, you go to investment bank, each asset class has its own infrastructure. Equities, they have own infrastructure. FX, they own infrastructures. Commodities, the same. And actually it's become very hard to be able to get like all these different legacy systems. When you come to this, the, to the framework of tokenization, it's amazing because you have your digital assets, 
which we call as alliance block the on-chain data container so which is the standard that we have built in which is an evolution of the nft we call it meta nft but simply it's an on-chain database if you want on-chain data container which can contain the metadata the data and your identity your digital passports and because you can like change the metadata there you can basically mutate it it could be like you can add information withdraw information actually it's the backbone of the, our tokenization engine but also it could represent any type of assets fx equity bonds but also real world assets and this is really where we have this really breakthrough now it's beautiful this vision is amazing do anyone is using it is using it but actually yes have signed already two clients so art banks if you saw about them she's 1.5 billion assets under management we are doing uh, so they are just launching the archify platform which we are the key technological provider where we do from representing the real arts into what we call the nft twins into fractionalize it into having escrow into having pools where you can people can basically put them as assets uh, 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 borrow against them or investment with buyback option and of course you have the kyc aml like everything that we can see in terms of the compliance so we have the full flow I have done the same thing with this AgriFi, which is microcredit for more than 45 million farmers. And we are starting with proof of concept for 2 million farmers. And working on two, um, when we speak about RWA, lots of people think about art, real estate. But there is one of the biggest markets ever that people don't speak about it. It's what we call inventory. So the inventory, it's multi-trillion markets. So every single company, they have huge inventory and sometimes they are struggling to monetize it. Okay, and it costs them huge amount of money. So now, tokenization of these inventories and being able to use them as collateral to borrow against them, okay, or to have financing for this, it will open huge opportunities. So we can speak about McLaren, or we can speak about like any type of companies. But what is very interesting is the yield that is provided. It's real yield. Okay, it's not just another liquidity mining or yield farming. Yield farming where you will have like percentage, one hundred percent, one thousand percent. Here we are speaking about real yield. We are speaking about processes. So this is exactly when you see like our infrastructures, like when you provide all these different elements, and then these different use cases. When you see in the space, you have people that are focusing completely on real estate, people that are focusing completely on art. So for us, we want to be this layer one, not as the blockchain layer one as infrastructure for all these people that want to do tokenization right. completely with the life cycle. So lots of information, but yeah, so you, you have the idea from where we were and why we have this narrative right now. Interesting. Yeah, that, there's a lot to unpack there. It sounds like you have the infrastructure in place already. Having the compliance ish, the compliance layer built in as well, I can only imagine being an institutional player with billions mm -hmm. of dollars under asset, uh, asset management, as you just referred to earlier. And... Mm -hmm. I could see from a mass adoption perspective, as we alluded to at the beginning of the episode, how afraid I, I would potentially be if the compliance is not there. Right. I'm curious, mm -hmm. are, are these um, these massive companies that you're referring to for the adoption side of things, are they approaching you or are you approaching them? Like, how is that working out? Yeah, absolutely. So we have been, like, some some of the projects we have been actually, like, speaking with them for a while. So, for example, Art Banks, it took us eight months because they have, like, huge network. And, of course, they were looking for different type of tokenization platform. And it took really time. But actually, what makes them sign in with us is the fact that we have one-stop shop. So not just the tokenization, but the KYC, AML, the processes, the partnership with the bank. We, we are still under NDA, but when you have high net worth individual that want to have, let's say, a financing from his art, 
he don't want to receive crypto he want to receive fiat so we need to deal so he need to have an account the bank need to accept him and need to accept people from DeFi that are providing money so we have work not only on the technological fronts but also on the legal fronts which is very very important so now that we can analyze this we have people contacting us okay that understand okay so like they have for example this part they want to have the compliance or they need to have like the whole system and so on and so forth so i think that's very important for our listeners and our viewers a lot of people are like you know when binance when moon yeah yeah um you have to understand i think i think it's important to express is that one partnership took eight months there's a lot of work mm -hmm. that goes on behind the scenes that a lot of viewers ourselves um crypto investors aren't aware of so yeah. i think that was an excellent point uh really had to drive that point home yeah it puts it into perspective because as you said people are so focused on the short term and you know you know latching on to all these people online that are just showing all these things you know all these profits and blah blah, blah but you know these are real companies with real people building real things and these things take time. So it's always important mm -hmm. when we, when we bring, you know, individuals like yourself on the show, Rashid, that, that it shows what's going on in the background and there's so much more to it. And, and, but it, it actually, it makes it real. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So maybe I will, I will put my degenerate hats before <laughs> being, before being founder with, uh, with Matthijs, uh, Matthijs and we like, uh, and we started this adventure before. Uh, we were really moon boys. We were in like in Telegram channels. We were like trying to hit for the ICOs, which is the 10x. We ask on this, but from all the projects that we invested in, and for like our own experience with like with being founders and like working with communities, building communities, I would say you have like patterns for every single crypto project, and patterns from projects that are top 500 until projects that are top 50, and my, and this is my own I would say like analysis about this. So each project in crypto goes through three phases. The first phase is hype without fundamental. Moon boy, when Binance, we will go 100x, everything is cool. And then you have the second phase, which is a little bit the hardest, which is patience, which people start basically losing faith, because, faith on the project because like the project is building, but they don't see how hard it's building the partnership, building the infrastructure, building the product. And this is where most of the crypto projects die because of even they don't have the financing or even the community completely let them out. So this is where the community play a huge role on a project because community can kill a project or can make project live until it becomes top 50. And then you have the third phase, which is high quit fundamental. Product is released, clients are there. This is the adoption phase. This is where you see really the fundamentals that can really have an impact on the token, even though we don't speak about basically the value of, of the tokens. But yeah, so this is the third phase. And this is where not everyone is going up to this third, third, uh, third phase, but this is the most important. But you go through this, let's say, mini, minimum where you need to be patient. Appreciate yeah. you highlighting that. Yeah, for sure. There's mm -hmm. a lot of people that need to understand that. And you, you put it very simply. And I think we'll be able to reiterate that to our community for sure. Absolutely. And then there is another thing is what is the difference between people that are top 500 and people that are top 10 or top 50 or top 100? Actually, from this is also from my analysis, but I do believe that we will agree on this, is that you have three components. You have the teams, you have the, the, the community, and of course you have the marketing, which is very important because you can be the best project ever if you don't have the right marketing, unfortunately it will not work out. And our community, for example, speak a lot about you need to push, you need to be more reactive. And we had this amazing partnership with Genfinity, which work with Hedera Ashgraph, they work with the, they work with the Aleph Zero, and they are having lots. And these are people that understand communities. So they bring communities together. So, but these three are not enough if you want to become like, let's say the top on the game. If you want to become top, you need to be infrastructure providers and you need to have developer community. So through all our basically journey, 
we, we arrived to this point to have the community, the product, the team, the marketing and the infra. Now we will go to the next phase, which is bringing these communities of developers that are building on top of our infrastructure to have multiple use cases. So this is really where we are going now. Very interesting. So I want to keep on that kind of track of, of the journey that you guys have been on. And, you know, recently there was, it was Alliance Block and there was the ALBT and then now it changed to the NXRA and that whole kind of, not, not a complete rebrand of Alliance Block, but a bit of a pivot there. So can you bring us through what happened there and, and what the reason for the new name and all the things behind that? Absolutely. So we were thinking a lot about like, um, so actually it's like sometimes destiny makes things, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. So we started to work on the Nexera protocol before even having even the Nexera token. So Nexera protocol, this is where, uh, when we had diff these different modules from decentralized exchange, identity verification, compliance, DeFi tooling, DeFi terminal, all these things, we were really struggling because it was very hard to, co to convey our community and external people what are we doing are you exchange are you DeFi tooling are you identity so people didn't understand it was very hard for us in let's say 30 second elevator pitch to explain what is alliance block so it was real so then we started um, to really think how can we connect all this so this is where the nexera protocol started nexera protocol started as building this on-chain data container that are composable that are mutable and that are extensible in terms of information and this was the key for us to be able to connect all our module and build these infrastructures, okay? Which is now the foundation of this decentralized tokenized markets. Because tokenized markets, indeed, you use this data container that are able to represent any type of asset, digital asset, crypto, or reward asset, okay? Then we start actually to have, so we had funders, which we had a project that are raising money. One of the projects was Bonk, which I was personally also involved. It was like they do like a reserve sovereign, uh, like financing. There was 0% interest rate lending protocol. Idea was amazing. Teams was amazing because there was from Energy Web. Unfortunately, for the Nexera tokens, they were using actually um, not Chainlink Oracle. They use another Oracle, which has a problem actually. And they didn't have the check because when the Oracle give you a price, you need to have basically a check to know if the if the price go from like yeah 0 0.06 for example to like 0 0.00001 or to like 1000 1100 you cannot just accept the price but unfortunately they didn't have this check which led that the hackers could basically take the the, the nexera and try, start gapping them but what is really important is that we we so not absolutely no smart contract on our side was like uh, was hacked or whatever and this is why security for us is very very important and this led us to create the DAO, which I will maybe like, if we have time, we can speak about it. So once we have this, actually teams were working like almost like around the clock, like we have managed to do the rebranding of the tokens to be able to do like to stop everything, to make sure that we don't have any, I would say other, other like things that can impact us negatively. And in the space of like three to four weeks, like I think I, what was overwhelming is we had not only the support from the community, but from all our partners, they told us that you wouldn't be able to do better than what you have done. Because we have done it like in the most professional way, in terms of communication, in terms. So this is what we said, okay, so what is the name of the token? So we had Nexera protocol, it was ne the next era, and it was the time that we are starting to be to have this infrastructures visible, like vision and what we are doing, ambition. So yeah, so this is how the Nexera tokens came. It's actually, it came pretty naturally, but we had 
is just accelerate our vision what happens so sometimes something bad can lead to something good which in case it's it's accelerates our vision absolutely on the same lines of sticking with the nexera uh, i see mm -hmm. that you have something known as nexera id is yeah. is that a product uh, i see on your twitter it says solving adoption the biggest problem of web3 Maybe you could go a little mm -hmm. bit into what Nexera ID is and does that tie a little bit into the digital passports that you announced or talked about earlier? Absolutely. So Nexera ID basically is really making compliance easy for all Web3 companies. And so because it's a hurdle. So if you take, for example, GDPR, data privacy, if you take PSD2, which is open banking, open finance regulation in Europe, if you take MIFID, which is regulation that was like for fund and hedge fund, wealth managers, asset managers. Every time that there was this kind of regulation, it creates multi-billions markets for service providers to be able to make sure that these companies are uh, like compliant with regulation. This is exactly what will happen with Mika. It will create multi-billion market. And because of the RWA, we have shown that RWA in the next basically like 20, 20, 20, 2030, it's around 16 trillion projected market, which is a huge market. In general, you take 5 to 10% that will go to compliance. So you can imagine how huge the market will be in terms of compliance. Okay? And you saw, maybe lately, you saw all this uh, like, a, like, like media about Binance. So Binance, they have been kicked off from Netherlands, from US. Now they are in France, and in France, they are trying basically to get everything perfectly compliant. So they have they have hired a new compliance officer, and they need to be compliant like with the, with the next, with the next um, regulation, which is MICA. So they need to have people that not only understand traditional compliance, but also like everything around like to, uh, know your transactions, crypto AML and KYC AML. So all the things that will make the framework and risk assessment of the users. So this is what is Mika. It's about internal risk assessments. Okay. And Mika 2.0, it will go to DeFi, to the NFTs, to the real world assets and so on and so forth. So we are at the forefront of this one because we have been working already on this. But we had one focus, how can we be compliant with regulation while, pre pre while keeping the privacy? So privacy preserving compliance. And this is where we had this huge collaboration with, with Polygon ID, which is amazing. So they have been sharing also all what we are doing. We are in their ecosystems and they are, we are meeting a lot of from their company because they told us, you have done this so much easier in terms of, of, I would say, user experience. So, so maybe if you want, I can show you currently like a demo that we have been doing if, if you want. Yeah. If you can bring it up. Sure. Absolutely. Cool. So, okay. So let me, let me show you. Yeah. We've been sharing and we shared that news of the polygon integration with our, with our um, community. And, you know, it's always nice to see, you know, everyone knows polygon, everyone knows Hedera Hashgrab and quant and, you know, you guys are always working. We almost call it, framed you guys as like the king of partnerships a lot of the time because Alliance Block is is always linked to all these really cool projects. So it just it adds a lot of a trust and and you know it's always nice to see projects working with big projects who maybe newer crypto investors know. So then you know they're like, oh, Alliance Block is working with someone I know. So it's always you know it's always great to see that. Absolutely, and actually this is so this is not something I'm I'm supposed to say, but I think everyone knows Capgemini. So 350,000 uh, uh, like engineers, they are one of the biggest IT consultancy in the, in the world. And actually we are partner with them. We are partners now and they, they become our technology provider for Nexera ID for the biggest bank, which are their clients. So we haven't yet announced it, but I can say it here. And, and it's really important. And actually what they like about what we are doing is really the way that is making them easy. So they are completely white labeling this. 
And when you speak about compliance, it's very complex. People, they don't know what is compliance and even how to comply, it's even more difficult. So we said, okay, how can we basically answer to this? And we created this. So you can see this demo of like how super easy is to be able to have this. So for example, here, if you say this, we, we will have like no code use, use cases. So build smart wallet with social onboarding, verify the identity of my users, customize the interaction users have with my product. This is what we call in marketing hyper-personalization. And you have tokenizations. You can tokenize everything. Index, wow. uh, real-world assets, digital assets. So it will be super easy for anyone to use these use cases. So this is why also we have, like we make it easy for people because if you want to have adoption, it, you, you don't tell people build with smart contracts and no code is the most important, okay? So we still do verify identity of my users. So now imagine that you are a, a decentralized exchange and you want to have this privacy preserving, let's say like a like, um, um, gated pool, okay? I want only people that has done KYC that be able to trade. And we are already working with this, with, with, with Pongola. Okay, so here it's we have done it in four parts. So we found what is defined identity check, which checks you want to do for your users. Okay, then you configure the identity widgets, then you deploy the identity widget, and then you have your analytics. So this is in terms of the compliance officer or any platform that want to get this. Okay, so then we do. So we added new rule. It's really cool this one because you can, for example, choose which type of rules I want: Mika, FAT rules, or like a UK, whatever, or custom, uh, custom. And what is really cool is here. So one of the biggest problem with KYC is that KYC, it's depend on each different jurisdictions. It's very complex. But then you have what we call verifiable credential. Polygon ID is about verifiable credential. And we think that the future is verifiable credential. Verifiable credential is just something that is telling you, I am more than 18. I am in a high risk country. I am US uh, uh, citizen, I am, user, um, I am US national, or like I am, uh, so all these different elements actually that you can issue these VCs and they are within the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Organization, which we are partners with them, which set the standard of this basically identity and other stuff. So here we have built our own ChatGPT where people can put the rules. Okay, so for example, I want, I need to stay compliant with Mikta and that user presents valid ID loveliness check and are not laundering money. So just from this, you click on it and it will generate all the VCs that you need, okay? So the name, surname, middle name, age, citizenship, for example, and then you will see like other stuff here. So like, for example, country of birth and select VC. So I want to have politically exposed, okay? So you simulate, you have the input data here, and you see what is basically all the, the information here, what's happened, if it's compliant or not for the users. Amazing. Okay? Just blew my mind. So, <laughs> and, and we spend a lot of time because I think UX and UI is the most important. And then, for example, here, so then you have like all the different rules. You check, I want to have like this liveliness, for example. You add it. And that, so this is what we call hooks. And here it's cool because you have all the checks step by step. So. I need to, uh, so I want to check my identity, my loveliness check. If I want to add a date, if I want to add proof of residence, if I want to add an ML check and crypto check. So I can basically see, okay, so I don't need this or I need this or I need anything I want. So once you provide this, so here, for example, for the IML screen, Pep is a politically exposed person. And then that's it. Now, what is really cool is it will issue this widget. So now you have this widget like this, okay? and you can implement it in your DAP. 
if you are if you are dex if you are bank if you are uh, like lending protocol that's it you don't need to code anything okay and then once you have this basically then so this is if you are developer you want to use sdks that's it and then you have completed everything now you want to monitor once you want to monitor you will have all your things how many kyc started completed data submitted and you have all your dashboard one stop shop but here what is really cool is you will have also like all the zk proof you will have a lot of things around like for example how many people have have been like have like more than 18 years old or that are us citizen that can trade or cannot trade in this exchange and so on and so forth so we make it really super easy for 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 project to be compliant and this is also what we call infrastructure to make it for b2b like focus on businesses that have a lot of users and this is where we will start also driving value to nexera because behind you have contracts and behind this contract there are fees behind these fees there are going to nexera so this is exactly how we are capturing the value we don't need to capture thousands of dollars like basically for a few clients we just capture 0.01% of any transaction fees that later will go to nexera and this is exactly how we are driving value so this is our business we spend time to arrive where we are now but now once we start having this phase, this adoption phase, this phase three, what we discussed later, like earlier, but this is exactly where we are. That will basically also show the utility of our token. Very cool. Yeah, that was kind of, I mean, first of all, thanks for giving us that demonstration. That was really awesome. Uh, I think uh, whatever people hear about compliance tools and KYC and regulations and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of this black box in a lot of people's mind in terms of how it actually get, how the software works, how it integrates with projects. And you kind of just, have no idea. And I think that's going to be a really, really cool thing for everyone to realize that, look, first of all, you built, I mean, the the, the UX and, and it just looks very, very smooth. Um, and, the, you know, you have your own little custom chat GPT that tells you what to do. I think it's a really, really impressive uh, platform that people are going to get excited about. Um, and then it kind of, uh, that was the next question I was going to ask you about um, the utility of NXRA, about the token. So you, you kind of touched upon it there, but maybe if you can go about a little bit more detail because, you know, we talk about a lot of projects on the show and one of the things we love to see is utility of the token built into the ecosystem so that it's going to drive, you know, value towards it. And it actually is used for something rather than it just maybe being, you know, um, oh, future, we're going to build the token into the project or governance only or part of the DAO. But it really seems like with this whole Nexera ID and NXRI token, you've built utility straight into it. So if you can maybe just go into a little bit more detail about how, how that works and maybe plans for the future of, of driving utility and adoption to that token. So I would say like driving utility of the tokens is not something that could be done in, in one day. So like it takes lots of times and sometimes you can do the all modeling, everything, but actually the utility of tokens, it depends on usability of your product. That's it. It's nothing else, nothing more. Utility, it's not basically by having just like staking days or doing liquidity mining or just doing burn. It doesn't like work like this, unfortunately. And this is why sometimes even if people does burn it doesn't work out actually on the on the value of the token so real utility is coming basically from uh, the usability of the product and this is where you can in terms of mean of payment paying fees like transactions being able actually for example that we are releasing our dex our decentralized exchange on the 15th actually so like i'm just trying to to show you like how it will work but it's it's the fully on-chain order book uh, decentralized exchange that will be launched on Nexera on the 15th of August. So no one knows this. So this is exclusivity right. because when you have the, let's say I will maybe, maybe I can share with you the on-chain order book protocol. It's very important. And um, if you take Uniswap V4, what they want is to be the on-chain order book on top of, um, of Uniswap V3. And actually we have been working on this the last few months and now we are able to release for the market orders. 
and then we can have like the the onchain uh, the onchain order book limit orders completely onchain and this is how it will look like okay so okay. really it's like binance but it will be super simple so like we will have it and actually one of the most major uh, like super cool stuff that we will have is this one is this uh, like yield optimized staked order where people will be able actually to do an order but then it will not become it will not stay passive it can go to defi and it will generate some yield okay so this is for example every single trade that will happen it will be paid with nexera or even if it's with the native i would say trading pair it will be swapped to nexera part of it okay so this will drive also value for nexera we will do the same thing we will do the same thing also for um, for uh, like the, the compliance part for the infrastructure like because when you are doing tokenizations like people are buying fractions so at uh, its transactions so like we will have also like part every single transaction you will have like parts that will go to a wallet which is will be swapped also to nexera and this is and then nexera can go to the ecosystem basically so this is exactly how we will drive value so making sure that every single product that we have it will be part of the fees that are generating will go to nexera okay plus once we are finalizing all, you need infrastructure. So we have nodes, and we have told to our 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 community that in order to run a node, you need to have two hundred fifty thousand nexera. Okay, so this node will be for look for order node, for the bridge, for basically the, the data curator, for the data validator, and so on and so forth. Okay, so this and you need to be validator. Either you have the full amount two fifty thousand, or you can delegate also to another one to another validator. Okay, and this which means that they will participate on having part of the fee generated by the network. That is amazing. That's like you just explained the utility of the token, how it's all built in the exciting things that are about to hit, which mm. is gets me hyped. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I want to know, because obviously you have a ton of expertise in the industry, you know, just listening to your background and where you came from and what you've built so far. It's all very impressive. Where do you see we are at as a whole from a, from uh, a DeFi adoption standpoint? Mm -hmm. And how close do you think we are to the floodgates opening where traditional finance begins to enter DeFi? So this is very, very good question. So maybe before I can get you a little bit more hyped, I can share with you. <laughs> Love it. So this, this one, this is how our decks will look like. So you have the Alliance Block decks, you have the different pairs, and it will be like easy to put orders, to do market orders. Oh, yeah, and nice. actually in the beginning, the biggest problem is to have the liquidity. So we are building it on top of Uniswap V3 where you can tap into liquidity there. And then slowly by slowly you start you start attracting traders because this is really something that is easy to use. It's like it's like centralized exchange, even though if it's fully on chain. And then you will be able to have these limit orders to have these strategies one stop shop. So redefining really the the Dex experience. Okay, Very so cool. this is exactly this is exactly what institutional need. And we are exactly five days from our pre launch, which will be on on Arbitrum, and uh, and uh, and yeah. So this one, this will be like a really big milestone for us. Exciting. Absolutely. Me too. I'm excited. Yeah. 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 We're <laughs> excited as well. <laughs> and so in terms of your question about, so we are seeing like a lot of, a lot of institutional interests. Okay. First, it started with the custody solution. So this is why we see a lot of hype in custody, fireblocks, coppers, like, uh, like Falcon X and all these, like even like this credo also, which is kind of like really good, like non-custodial i would say uh, uh, the way of doing it but it's very very secure and then we had like all 
how can you basically get access to on-chain data to build analytics, to build DeFi strategies? So we are seeing more and more institutional that want to get access to these DeFi strategies. The problem is, uh, if you want to put your money into DeFi strategies, you need to have people that are KYC AML, which is no way that you will have people from Aave KYC themselves. It doesn't. It will never work. Okay. And the proof is that it was creation of Aave Arc, which was only between institutional. Okay. But it didn't work out. Why? Because bringing the same players in a permissioned network to be able to provide liquidity and to borrow this liquidity, of course, you are creating the same systems within permissioned uh, like a framework. It will not work because it will it will be exact same things that exist in traditional. So what's make DeFi? DeFi is the community and only the community. Okay. So there are ways to start actually attracting this DeFi, this 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 institutional is by providing financial traditional instruments that are basically wrapping these DeFi strategies. For example, we have certificates, certificates that can wrap. And, do, and we've been working two years on the legal framework. How can you basically sell certificates that wrap DeFi strategy? Okay. And we find the framework actually, and we will be announcing a huge partnership with Spool as well, because Spool, I guess you know them, is like, is they are building this vault of strategies, okay? And they are also having these institutions in mind. So for us, we'll take vault and we will wrap them into certificates and issue them. When you speak about certificates in finance, you have ISIN. ISIN is the password if you want into every single securities that is traded into, uh, into, into, into um, uh, regulated uh, exchange, okay? So this is the first part. The second one, you see adoption into this crypto when you start seeing like um, um, what is uh, like, for example, Kaiko, which is the data. So they are having a lot of, lot of users that are needed. They need this data basically to be able to build like a hedge fund, crypto fund and all these guys. You have MSCI, MSCI, which is one of the biggest index provider in the world. And they are basically already starting to put what they call their sect sectorization. So how we can put different sectors for different cryptocurrencies, even though if they have the top 100, but this is anyone that is institution that they don't know any clue about crypto, they have MSCI, they check MSCI, they say, okay, we buy it. Okay, so this is, and of course we we saw ETFs, and as you said earlier in the in the, in this uh, in this call, uh, like uh, the, the CEO of BlackRock speaking about tokenization. So yes. There are a lot of, and all the barrier that was before in terms of compliance, regulation, they are starting to become more and more clear. And I think the biggest driver, which sometimes people think is negative, and for me, it's absolutely not negative, is Mika. Because regulating, so Mika regulation is coming into end of 2024, making sure that once you need basically to have your platform secure, they are completely audited, you know what you are doing, it's the highest standard of security to protect the company, to protect the users. You need basically to, to work like if uh, like you know who is working, so you don't have like uh, this money, uh, like anti-money laundering, you don't have like people that are basically like uh, maybe less opportunities of hacks. So this will encourage also these uh, like a uh, um, uh, institutional to enter and finally there is the real world assets okay and digital assets in general okay when you see like a lot of banks i'm sure you have goldman sachs jp morgan cities all of these guys they all build platform of tokenization but it didn't work out why because of the lack of liquidity and because they build it for them and they don't want to interact with other banks so they, they are competing in a way okay mm -hmm. So this is why banks building this to enter the crypto world for their institutional, it will never work. Because even institutional, they are speaking about EDMs, okay? Because they know they need to go where the liquidity is. They just need this 
this i would say clarity in terms of regulation uh, sec they have like of course we don't speak about all the shits happening but they are speaking about dexes they need to provide like let's say the same way of having centralized exchanges i mean in terms of money laundering in terms of uh, crypto aml know your transactions okay so if we have this framework and we add this privacy with this verifiable credentials you know let's prove okay so people are still keeping their privacy but if at some point regulators comes and he say i don't i want to see that if us are not trading in this decentralized exchange at least people have signed the term and condition and they can see okay i am not us even though they don't need to give all their data okay so all these different types of elements will encourage uh, like institutional to come see uh, um, standard and tools snp they are basically also assessing uh, under collateralized lending protocol uh, in order for their for for the clients to be able to invest into and to put like some money to to uh, to uh, to lend uh, because they can have like from eight to twenty five percent yields sometimes depending on the risk of course that you are taking. Uh, so yeah, so I do believe that the the regulation that are coming, the solution that we are starting to have, I would say the 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 huge I would say hype that is around this real world tokenization, all major stock exchange that are starting to build their digital assets infrastructure. Okay, what's the, like the guys like BlackRock CEO that are saying is bringing slowly and slowly like this this institutional to participate into this uh, amazing space. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, like it's it's something where it's going to take a lot of time because you can understand yeah. how much there is, and you know these institutions are dealing with billions, if not trillions, of dollars. So all the tech, yeah. all the ticks and the checks needs to be made. But that's I think that's yeah. where Alliance Block is going to play an important role yeah. moving forward. Now, one of the last things I wanted to ask you before we wrap it up is you did mention earlier the transition into a DAO. And I think mm -hmm. the role of a DAO, it's another one of these black boxes of crypto. It's like, just like KYC and regulation and stuff. People hear this word DAO thrown around all the time. No one, a lot of people don't really understand it. They don't understand the advantages, what it brings to a project and what actually happens behind the scenes with a DAO. So maybe if you can briefly give us a, um, an idea of, of what Alliance Block is doing with the DAO and what advantages that's going to give you guys moving forward. So, yeah, so um, it's a very good question, actually. And indeed, a lot of people speak about DAO without for, like understanding how it works. And actually, even us were speaking about it because DAO, everyone speaks about DAO. But when we started implementing it, we see that it's not something easy to implement. So DAO is decentralized autonomous organization. So it could be leveraged, for example, for the governance of, of, of projects. The problem of DAOs is Lots of projects started to give power of the vote that so that people that have the, the most tokens, which is not good because you can have malicious actors, sometimes you can have VCs that are part of DAO seats and then they can vote for like a proposal because they have like 60% of the tokens or whatever. Okay. So so then you need to have like proper governance system to be able to make sure that you have what we call this collective intelligence, which is like the proper decision making coming from different types of people. So for us, we implemented, for example, you can have one vote, two vote, three vote, or four vote maximum no matter how much you have in terms of tokens okay but we take into account reputations like uh, what are the products that you are basically dealing with that you are participating in and so on so you build this kind of reputation okay so the role of the DAO is the governance of the project so like some DAO people that have their governance like for example if they compound Aave, all these guys like if you want to do something you don't speak with the team you need to put proposal People need to vote for it, and then it, you, you either you have some budget and you build it as open source, or it's the teams that can build it. Okay, but one of the most important things, also why we are seeing more and more DAO. Of course, there is something around the legal part because you don't have someone that is liable. Okay, but on the other side, this is what can make projects also 
kind of decentralized. I'm not speaking about the bad examples, of course, where you have DAO, but it's centralized. They can basically take control of everything. But I'm sorry, real DAO, it's this is because we have been speaking with some exchanges, big, I cannot say names, and they want to have like, okay, so you need to prove that the project is decentralized. And how to prove that the project is decentralized is that the company needs to be to have less. And this is from US criteria. It's not from like from US. In the, the, the company need to have control the less than 10% of the supply. You need to have basically like not people within the team, within the company are the ones that are building the products. You cannot show, for example, a detailed roadmap because you cannot show that you have the control of the technology. Like if the founders leave the company, still the, comp the, 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 the company can live, okay? And of course, you have a system of the governance where you need to have proposal, people accept the proposal, give the financing, and you have the external contributor. So this is, I would say, the, the criteria for having this decentralized autonomous organization that make the project decentralized, but on the other side, you are able actually to have proper governance, okay? The problem now, which is practically for the DAO, is that one of the best DAO that you can see is MakerDAO. They're very good. Anything there, they have diehard. The problem is when sometimes you can start with hundreds of thousands of people, but you will have only 100, 100, 1,000 people that will be hardcore at some point. It takes time to really build this community. The question is, do you take everyone to be able to do the vote, or do you need to start having a system where you have, like, let's say, people that have nothing, but they can have one vote, but then you will have like this, you start building this hierarchy. So there are a lot of philosophical, I would say, studies, research study about what is the best. I don't believe there is one best uh, like organization, but definitely those are something example that could be taken, that could be leveraged even in any company, in any company, okay? And I am personally very, very, like I would say, like uh, involved in this because you have this collective intelligence. How can you build this uh, like collective intelligence framework to make the best decision-making? And even as a research topic is amazing. That's beautiful. Before we wrap things up here, I want to get the crowd, the audience hyped up one last time for Alliance mm -hmm. Flock. Maybe you can yeah. put it uh, into a few bullet points. What can investors, what can uh, people who follow Alliance Flock, what can they expect for the rest of 2023 from your team? Okay. So uh, I will speak, I will be speaking. So we speak DeFi, DeFi, a lot of DeFi project, they have done pretty well. I think DeFi is one of the most important components of this tokenized markets because you need liquidity. To need liquidity, you need to attract users, basically, and also having this, like, all the DeFi components and DeFi primitive. So what's personally really, uh, like, uh, like, hyped me, personally, is the launch of the decentralized exchanges. And I think, like, for the DeFi degenerates, I think there is something that is absolutely important is it will not go out because we have the pre-launch. The pre-launch, as I said, is the 15th of August. It will be only market orders. I think like it's really breakthrough because there is no, even DYDX, it's not fully on-chain. So we have fully on-chain order book. So this is really amazing. But then like in like, I think after four or six weeks, we will have like these four features. And I can't tell, can can tell these features here. So we have staking enabled on-chain order book. So what is mean staking enabled on-chain order book? It's beyond traditional order book mechanics, actually. So you will be able to leverage the concept of staking, okay, and orders. So I can stake my orders and I can get rewarded because I'm providing liquidity. But what is really amazing, it's completely delete the impermanent loss because you provide that single-sided liquidity. And we have been speaking a lot and finally we can do this. So it's single-sided liquidity provisioning in the non-chain order book by putting orders and staking them so you can get fees you can get basically rewarded and you can get like a really like incentivized to provide this liquidity in an order book setup 
which is really the best of the mix between decks and sexes. The second one is like the order trigger matching, which is like something that is more classical, but it's done completely on chain. The third one that is really exciting is the yield optimized staked orders. And what does it mean? I explained it quickly before, is that when you put an order and you are far from the spot, you know, so we did one study and we discovered that in all centralized exchange, you have more than $300 million into Ethereum and Bitcoin that is just in orders that are completely passive, that are just locked. I want to sell it when it's 6,000. I forget it for three years, okay? So it's just passive orders. So we decided to build this huge one, which is yield optimized staked orders. When you are incentivized, when you put an order far from the spot, and actually, it will really generate yield because your money is going to other less risky, basically, protocols where you can generate yield. And this is really good because you have a mix between decentralized exchange, on-chain order book, and, of course, like all the DeFi primitives, lending, borrowing, and all these things. And then the last point, which is amazing, is the dynamic range order book provision. You take the idea of liquidity concentration of Uniswap V3, and you mix it, and you can provide it, basically, into orders. So I can put an on-chain order, where I say that I want to execute my order where it's between $1 and $1.05, okay? But then it will automatically check where you have the max liquidity so we can have even more, more efficient pricing. So here we are really entering, I would say, the realm of DeFi, but completely revamping what is happening on the, on, on, I would say, on the, on the DeFi space. And all this, it will be part because these taxes, it will also, you will, the third phase of the release, you can trade real-world assets. So, and with these features, you can create yield, real yield, from this real-world asset that you can trade within our decentralized exchange. So, this is really exciting me. And, of course, you have the compliance solution that is going out. I hope we can announce some collaboration with banks by end of this year. It takes time, because sometimes with big banks, it can take two years. So, let's see. So yeah, so really excited Q3 and Q4. Yeah, wow. There's there's certainly a lot a lot going on there, a lot for the community to be excited about. And I love how you kind of, it wraps it up, you know, brought in a DeFi, real-world tokenization of assets, compliance, while also getting back to like the roots, the roots of Web3 and digital assets. It's, it's very, very exciting. So yeah, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. Hey, we appreciate having you on the show today, Rashid. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. That was amazing questions. Thank you very much. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, awesome. So hey, if you're if you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of Alliance Block, leave a comment, like, subscribe, and uh, be sure because we're going to keep you guys updated with anything Alliance Block moving forward. And then tune into the next episode. Because that one is going to be a banger. views expressed by speakers on the bean pod are solely their opinions you should not treat any opinion expressed on the bean pod as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a specific strategy but only as an expression of their opinion this podcast is for informational purposes only